You are now listening to My Faithway Podcast. You can now find us on every major platform. And don't forget to visit our Facebook page with live services every Sunday at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you want to become a partner or simply make a one-time donation, please text the word FAITHWAY to 77977. Click send and you will receive a link for further instruction. Feel free to comment on our Facebook Live stream services or visit our page at myfaithway.org. Now let's experience life in a new way, the Faithway. Church online. Isn't it a wonderful day to worship this morning? Amen. Hallelujah. So we have some exciting, exciting news. I don't know if you guys have been following us on uh, social media, but today is the day, the day that we've been working for, the day that we've been announcing for. So our junior high ministry is opening its doors today. So let's give you know the team a round of applause. We're super, super, super excited about this because um, it's a word that's, you know, created just for them. And it's broken down, you know, the promises that God has given our, our, each and every one of us. But our junior high ministry, this right here, this is something that we've been focusing on. And we have a vision, and it's finally playing out in reality. So we're super excited about that. Um, but before I dismiss church, I'd like to ask you guys to go ahead and stay in before I dismiss the children to, to their classes. Um, we have a couple of things that we'd like for you to hear. We have pastor back from Cuba, so let's welcome him back home. We missed you guys. We missed you, pastor, here. Um, Welcome back home. We have Pastor back, and I'm pretty sure he's going to share some awesome testimonies, and um, he's going to share with us how the Spirit of God, how God was moving there in Cuba. But at this time, I'm going to ask up uh, Miss Yanis. She wants to take, you know, just a little bit of your time and share something with you guys. And once she is finished, she will dismiss our beautiful little kids to their classrooms. So let's give her a round of applause and welcome her up. Good morning, church. Good morning, church. Good morning. morning. How are you all? Um, I asked Miss Catherine to um, have a couple minutes with you. Um, Today is a very, 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 very exciting day for me. Um, God placed in my heart um, at the beginning of the year this vision, and I didn't think it was for me. And I tried to give it away. (laughs) <laughs> and I talked to some people, and I'm like, look, this is super cool, right, Gilly? Um, and you can do this with these people and these kids, and there is a need, and, and it didn't happen. And um, then I went back to Puerto Rico in June, and I had a conversation with my sister-in-law, and Alejandra's sister, and um, she was talking about all the amazing things this ministry is doing in Puerto Rico, and it is the same ages that I had been, like, thinking about. And I'm like, is this confirmation that I'm supposed to do something like this for this age here at the church? Well, I came and I talked to pastor, and I said, pastor, I think we should do this and this, but not me. You know, like, I have nursery, and I'm cool. Like, it's all good. But we should have this ages split. And, and he said, yeah, sure. That was it. And then we went to Cuba. And in Cuba, that's when everything was, like, clear. And we had two amazing um, camps, and one was for specifically that age. 
And I was so blessed. And that was like the third time that God said, like, you got to do it. And I, ha- I had to sit down and reflect because I'm like, I'm so busy, you know, like I have so much, so many things. I'm a mom. I'm, my daughter's going to college. I, I have a full-time job and I have nursery and, and, but I had it in my heart. This is what God wanted. And I know God opened the door for me in junior high. Why? I don't know. I don't know. At the time I didn't know. I know that God opened a door and it was just plain favor. And now I know why. I am able to walk the hallways and see the need of the kids of our community. Your community. And I am able to see things that they need. The encouragement that they need that at home sometimes they don't have it. And those are your children. That sometimes they don't talk to parents. Those are your grandchildren. And I am seeing it, and then I feel like I have my hands tied in my back. Because I am at a school, and I cannot speak God at school. And I know that a lot of their battles and struggles, I know who can fix them. And I know we have the word that can fix it. So when that happened, I said, I will do it. I'll be obedient, and I will do it. And... The work started, and it's been a long road since July, August, September, and we kept on pushing, and there was a lot of things, but I have a clear, like I told Pastor this morning, I had a vision. When people ask me for a cake, whenever I bake, they tell me, Janice, can you do this? And I'm like, I'll get back with you. If I can see it in my head, I know I can make it. And that room... I saw it, and I knew exactly what we need. Now, we have it. Resources showed up, and I want to say thank you to all the people. I know sometimes I bug and I send text messages, and, uh, but I thank you for just hopping in the ship with me and doing this with me, because this is not Janice. This is a junior high class. From Faithway. And we will be able to touch lives that maybe we were never able to touch them. Because now they're going to have a space. That age, it's very, very sensitive. They are getting out of elementary school. And they are like exploring. But they are not yet in high school. So they have no clue what's going on. And it is a perfect time for training. And... I know God, the plan that he gave me is identity. And we're going to focus on identity. And our first lesson today is going to be, who is God? Who is he? Do they know who God is? I don't know. I'm going to figure it out today. And from there, we build that up. Because the next is going to be, who am I in him? The one that made me to his image and likeness. Because, like I was telling my son yesterday, guys, it's sad. I know his friends. He's a youth. He's in high school. His friends, whenever something goes on, they know that prayer works. But why aren't they here at church? 
and they just ask for prayer when something's going on. I told my son yesterday, I said, why do we have to wait until we are in the trouble when you are already feeling defeated to pray? Why don't we pray and then we go to the trouble knowing who I have by my side? That's the way that I see it. And that's the way these kids need it. How many kids do I have that are going with me today? Junior high. Six, seven, eight. KK? Noah? Where's Alexis? Okay. So I have two. I set up 15 chairs, people. 15. And I told Pastor, I'm going to put more chairs in that building. I know it is a God's plan. And I needed the need, I, I had the need to share with you why was this done. Because now I need you all to help me bring the kids in there. And whenever you do that, you can jump in the boat with me and help teach them. Because we have what it takes. God is a good God. And we are the church awakened. Unless you sang it just because you read it. We are. And we have to stand up. And we have tenemos, como dicen en Puerto Rico, que agarrar el toro por los cuernos. Because we are in a generation and in a time that if you don't know the word, you're defeated. And yes, I will pray for your children. I will pray for your grandchildren whenever they're going through something. But we are providing something for your children, for your grandchildren to learn and to be able to stand with us as well and fight the good fight of faith. You understand? So, that is a blessing. I was able to come with Maras Misaraceli and Miss Miriam, and we already declared the word in that place. If you feel that inkling your heart that you want to teach them, you don't need much. Everything's there, laid out for you. I even have internet. So if the live service goes down, sorry, I'm stealing some of the signal <laughs> over there. But hey, it's going to be at their level And it's going to be amazing. Hop on with us. It's going to be an awesome ride. Amen? Okay. So, thank you so much. I love you all. Today I will be teaching. If you don't see me around, it's because I'll be in there. But I don't take any more of your time. We have nursery, ages zero to three. We have uh, ages, uh, no, grades second to fifth grade in the center, which was the cafe. We changed that around because it was easier for us, the children's ministry, working with grades than with ages. We go and we will move and we will graduate the kids just like the school. Makes sense. So you have second to fifth, pre-K to first. And sixth to eighth. And Miss Betty, are we having youth? At two o'clock, the youth will meet. The youth is high school from nine to 12. Okay? At two o'clock in my building, in the building, in the new building. So, guys, that's awesome. Um, one more announcement. One more announcement, and it is we have one very, very, very special birthday today. And it is Sister Elda. So, we bless you, and we pray that God grants you many, many, many more years full of health, love, and surrounded by the ones that love you the most. 
Amen. So kids, you are dismissed. I am dismissed. And pastor, all yours. Thank you. No, you're not. Amen. Let the kids go. Glory to God. I'm excited about that. Now, you know, I just want to build a little bit on what Yanis said, and I might talk more about it during the service. But here's the thing, guys. You know, as a church, you know, we're, we're a smaller group today. That's fine. But here's the thing. It's, it's within everyone's responsibility to do these things. And if you're a grandparent, you're an uncle, you're a mom, you're a dad, and you know any children around that age, especially if, you, if, especially if you're kids, you know, you say, well, my kids don't want to wake up. Okay, well, you tell the Lord that when they're on drugs and they're trying to figure stuff out in life and life's all messed up because you didn't take the time to set a foundation. And now they're trying to figure out life because, you know, it's, it's amazing what we do with school. You know, get up in the morning, make sure you don't, you know, get there late. I'm like that, you know. I don't even want to tardy on the kids, you know. That's good. That's what parents should do. But what happens when it turns into church, for some reason, our kids get a big, huge voice of not wanting to, and we just kind of fold with it, like, okay, I just go ahead and stay, you know. But now we've provided, this church has provided everything for your children. We can't do any more. It's up to you to do your part. And if you don't see the, the need of, of this, well, I, I, don't, I really can't help you with that. I, I'm just saying, you know, it takes all of us to reach a community. And the way you reach a community is going to that extra effort, because everyone in this room if you don't have junior high age kids, you're either got a grandchild that age, you got a nephew that age, a niece that age, you know, your, your best friend's kids that age. And most parents, if they're not even coming to church, but they, they see, you know, they can read the writing on the wall and say, you know, what our kids are facing is really complicated. And the only thing we, the best thing we can do is, is send them off with a foundation. That's really what we're trying to do in church. Amen. So again, I just want to build that point. Amen. So anyhow, I'm back, as you can tell. It was, a, it was a trip. It was different. It was amazing. It was probably the best thing. A lot of things, a lot of different attacks of all levels. Um, the final one was that I ended up doing the meeting pretty much by myself. Um, things didn't work out. You know, passports got lost. Not mine. So Pastor Dan and Pastor Ann did not go. So, and there was even a chance I wasn't going to go. Some of you didn't know it. A few days before, well, about a week before we needed to go, my granddaughter... Cammy had been real sick, um, you know, in the hospital. She had gotten a blood transfusion. And at that point, I called, this was like a week before I called Pastor Dan. I said, hey, this is going on, you know, and, and if this doesn't resolve, I'm not going. I'm not going to be in another country and I'm, leave my grandkids here. So anyhow, that got fixed real quick. She's fine. She's healthy. She's awesome. But then I was up in New York and this and that. And I mean, it's a long story, but at the end of the day, I, I, was, I was the one that ended up going and two, two people from from Dan's team, but they were more there to take pictures and, and support and just wonderful young people, you know, younger than me, not really young. but So it, it turned out really good, but it was like attack, attack, attack. So I get home, and it was, it was, you know, it was long, it was hard, so I get home. And so Friday, I guess today's Sunday, you know, pretty soon I had been managing everything. So Friday, you know, I'm playing basketball and all that. So within, between Thursday and Friday, I managed to destroy my other glasses. And I thought I had broken my hip. That'll bring you memories. And so Friday, I'm laying on the ground thinking I have a broken hip, not able to get up. That's like a true story. I'm like on the grass full of carillos, you know, like, and I'm like, okay, this is not good. And um, I thank God because I could not walk Friday, so I somehow limped. And Caden's like, I'm going to call 911. I'm like, no, we'll figure it out. I, I really thought I had a, I've never had a hip injury in my life. Well, I did. 
And so Saturday I was like, you know, totally, <laughs> I need to, I had a crutch, and today I'm moving around. So that was the devil just beat me on the way back, all right? But we're still good. But anyhow, the meeting was amazing, and I wanted to share just a couple things because, you know, you guys were part of it. I want to speak to the online church, of course. I just, there's so much in my heart. I just want to share a couple testimonies, and then we're going to get into the Word, and the Word's going to have to do with this. You know, it has to do with some of the things. But I want to show you a picture of a gentleman that I met over 10 years ago, and some of these stories are here to inspire you because... One thing that you come back from Cuba, and I wish I could take every one of you at some point to Cuba, because you come back and you learn a lot of things. And actually, when I was on the plane back, I started a little outline. I don't know if it's a message or not, but I said, what have I learned from the Cuban church? And I was amazed at the things. I made a list, you know, and it's almost embarrassing because we come to America and we've lost all these things. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that. But anyhow, I want you to look at that gentleman because I met him 10 years ago. He's probably in his high 80s now, and he got up there and shared and spoke, and I mean, he's, but this man was a very young man during the revolution, um, 1959, 1960. He was probably in his 15, 16 years old. You can do the math. Um, and during that time, what happened was that they had everyone that would be considered counter-revolutionary picked up, which included you know, back in the 60s, obviously, the mindset, you know, all the homosexuals, criminals, transvestites, I mean, the whole, the whole slew of, you know, because that was part of the, the, you know, the socialist dream is you clean it up. Even like if when you go to Ukraine, my first time going to Ukraine, you wouldn't find handicapped areas. You wouldn't find, do you remember that, H? You remember? That was like, your, oh, there's no, there's no handicap ramps. There was because they presented a system that was perfect, and if you were in those conditions, they just put you away. So if you were handicapped, I'm talking, you know, former Soviet Union, well, obviously the Cuban system had some of the same things. So as they, wrapped up, as they picked up all these men and women and, you know, prostitutes, the whole thing, they put them into work camps, which were basically the cane fields. Another group of people they picked up was Christians, and his crime was to be a Christian. That was his only crime. And he spent... I don't know how long, but he spent a good time within this, you know, working in the work camps with all, you know, the dark people of society, and his crime was that. That was the crime. So anyhow, um, I met him 10 years ago, and he shared his story. And here, here's 10 years later, and what was really interesting, um, Ariana is part of uh, Pastor Dan's team, and then another young man, Rene, maybe on, you'll see him in the picture. I had shared that story with them. Like, a few, like maybe a day before, we were at the hotel, and I'm like, you know, 10 years, I, I thought this gentleman had gone with the Lord, you know, because 10 years ago, he was old, so I figured, um, you know, and there he was, man, you know, and I was so excited to see him, and I, I said, I, I told Ariana, and they come here, come here, you got to meet this guy, remember that story I told you? This is him, I was so excited, so that's one of the great stories, and he's still doing, and what's really interesting about him, he's still in the church that he founded, he was a founder of the church in Encrucijada, and I've been to that church back in 2012. I was at the church. And um, he's still there in his, own, in his same church. Imagine that. So that was a, you know, a real inspiring story about this gentleman, you know, one of the things. So I wanted to share that one. And then I wanted to show you a little bit, you know, sometimes you forget what you do over the years, what you guys did, obviously in partnership with Faith Exchange and so forth. So I want to show you, if you can hit the, like the, what, when I, you know, the, the pictures of the building. You guys have seen this before. Before, you know, when I showed up in 2014 to this building, if you can scroll down to those arches where it's like no windows and all that, this is what the building 
look like. You know, it was pre pretty much an open space. Um, actually, that was maybe a little less when I showed up because I don't think the top walls were up there. But anyhow, um, there's a couple more there, RJ, what it looked like. That wasn't built. That little open space right there. There used to be a drunk guy that used to sit there, and he knew all the songs. Well, he finally died. I'll go back to those, RJ. I'll get to those in just a second. So um, anyhow, that's what we walked into in um, November of 2014. And just hold on there. So, you know, all those walls were built up over the years. And I remember I hadn't even met Pastor Yoel. I was, and you walk down the stairs, and it's kind of how you get in the building. And we were there. I was as an interpreter. I wasn't even there to preach. I was interpreting for Pastor Mel. So we went down in there, and as soon as I walked in there, and I've, I've learned to listen to the voice of the Lord. You know, I've, I've learned, you know, when you hear it, it's pretty clear. And I'm just walking down, and I look at this building, and the very first thing that God says, I mean, I hadn't even said hello to the pastor. I don't even really know who the pastor is. He says, I want you to put the windows up. You know, build the walls, finish it. And I remember that service, it started raining. I've shared this story many times. And the way it was open, the rain would come this way. So the way we were sitting, we'd have to, like, all pick up the benches and just kind of move all the way over. That's, you know, and the rain would, you know, come down and so forth and so on. So the reason I'm showing you this, so, that, so we got that, you know, we got it built up. And then in 2015, a hurricane came and ripped the roof off. So we had to fix that. We put that back on. So that's kind of what it looked like. And it was so hot. And today, church, you can't see this side, but right here from where the picture is, we got two huge five-ton AC units. As far as we know, now we've been checking so I'm not giving you a false number, and I'm not trying to hype up anything. But as far as we know, that's the only church that anybody knows of in Cuba, in Cuba, in the whole country, that has an air conditioning. Isn't that crazy? So, you know, that's the kind of stuff that God does. And um, so now we have, you know, false ceiling. So we went from that to that. And again, you know, that's why we do what we do. You know, we, you know, we are changing history. We are affecting people's lives. Now... So that, you know, to me, it was, I told Dan, when I was down there, he didn't go, so we were, you know, going back and forth, and he was really, really, you know, upset about the whole thing, but I said, it almost feels surreal, because <laughs> I'd been in, the, I'd, I would go to that building, I'd been going to that building for so many years, and it was so hot, I don't care if you went in the winter, it was hot, you know, and I said, I would love that picture, that's Pastor Yoel, everybody's with umbrellas, and he's preaching, I wonder how many people in Heavenville would come to church if that was our conditions, right, but, um, so, you know, going from that to that, it, to me, was so amazing. And, and back in, um, we did one meeting, for some reason, I remember it was in the summer. I guess when, with Monica and when Caden. And we were doing meetings there in the building, and it was just so hot, you know. And I remember having taken, I would take shirts, and I would leave them in the car, because I would interpret for Dan. I would preach, interpret. And every service, I would, because I, you know, I, I sweat a lot to begin with, but it was like you could wring them out. Like, I mean, you could, you know, fold it with... I'm grossing you out. So I would just run up in the car, you know, picking a fresh shirt, <laughs> go in the bathroom, put on a fresh shirt. An hour later, that one was soaked through. So, you know, being in there, and it was hilarious, H, because it actually got cold, if you can imagine that, cold in, in the church building in Cuba. Now, you guys experienced it, you know, the team that went in the summer. So that was, you know, that's just amazing. And again, all these things are because of, you know, what, the, you know, the reason we do what we do. Remember, remember that little phrase? It's going to come up. I'm actually in the message already, but I'll get to the message. Now, I want to show you what's going on in the farm, because that's a big one. So now you can show that, that structure that you showed, RJ. And I don't know if this is the online church that can actually see the pictures or if you can turn the camera. That's a good one right there. Go back to that one. 
That is not, they didn't run out of gas. Um, so the, the shortages are so intense. So when they can find gas, of course, which is not really safe, but everybody's got like storing gas in their house. So they'll load a you know, 20 liter or five gallon jug in the back of the truck because from Santa Clara to Havana is about a three hour, three and a half hour in, in the car. So they have to carry gas with them because as you go, they have a lot of gas stations, but they don't have any gas, you know. So that is not somebody that ran out of gas. That's just some, you know, now they're in Havana. There's no gas to get back, so we got our own gas. So that's, that's the reality of, you know, everyday Cuba. Okay, now let's go. I want to show you what's going on in the farm. So right there, we're really excited about that is actually the church building, okay? So we finally got a church building on the farm. Now, it's going to be an open building. It's not going to have walls. That's, they, you know, they call them ranchon in Cuba. That's just a structure. Even where we did the conference, it's ginormous, but it's, it's all open. It's very nice. So, you know, that's where we're headed. You know, we got the, the building. We got the, you know, the framework, and we're ready to, you know, move on the roof. The house that, that you know, a lot of people, Jerry Savelle, gave the very first money for the house is now the people there are living. They were living in really, really just really bad conditions. And we were able to get them out. They have air conditioning unit. They got a little TV in their house. There's still a lot of work on the house. Um, I don't know if there's a picture. There might be a, a, a shot away from the house. It's just, anyway, it's just a building. So things are moving. We got, I didn't even tell Yanis because she asked me. She left. But we got some hogs on the farm now. So we have, you know, the hogs. And I know all this stuff to you. It's like, okay, whatever. No, this is really important because, you know, part of what we're doing is to build this farm up. Because right now, you know, even when we went in March, it's, it's, it's worse than it was in March. You know, it was worse when they went. And it just keeps, you know, progressively getting bad to the point. Get, get this one. If you think of Cuba, there are two things you think about, right? You think about coffee and sugar, right? And tobacco. Well, you don't want to think about tobacco. But, yeah, coffee and sugar. Well, for the conference, we can find sugar. You can find sugar in Cuba, you know? We can find coffee. <laughs> you know, so, so things are really intense, you know, and they found sugar and so forth. And then back to the conference, you know, it was just amazing. I, I don't know if I put some pictures. So that's, you know, we fed all this men. That's the, the feeding area. It was over 500 men, and lots of women showed up, as they always do. And it was just really great. So there, that was the meeting. So that's actually an open building. You can't see it, but all the sides, they don't have walls. And here's the thing, you know, you can't really see it there, but the energy and the joy and, and just the passion that the Cuban people have for God. And the thing is, you know, they are in such complicated circumstances. And, you know, that's kind of where I'm going. You know, what have I learned from the Cuban church? And I've learned a lot of things, you know, and hopefully some of those things can transmit into the message today and to what I, to where I really want to stir your heart to think about some of these things because these people have a really, really complicated situation. I mean, you're not going to teach them anything about faith, you know, because they live it. You know, they have, they, they're in, in pretty much in survival mode. You know, most of the time a Cuban's day revolves around what am I going to eat for the next day, and they, you know, shop around. Everything is it's amazing. You've got to be careful what I say because I, I want to get invited back, but the, the whole system, the whole system right now is working pretty much off the black market, if you know what, what I mean, what black market means, you know. And it's amazing because they are run, they're, they're functioning in capitalism, total capitalism, because if you don't, so everybody's selling, wheeling, and dealing, right? So everything's bought at the black market. You know, if you, you know, when you want to buy gas, you know, you find somebody has gas, you know, you don't want to ask where they got it from, but if they got it, you know, they'll come out with 10 gallons of gas and food and so forth and so on. So the whole economy is kind of strange because it is a socialist, communist nation, but, but their underground economy is free market, right? Black market, but it's free market. So 
things are very complicated there, you know. But the passion, and I, and I keep going back to that, because the passion and the fire that they have for the things of God, and, and, and to me I wonder, is that what it takes for, for us? Is that, is that really the only way the church, and when I say the church in America, I mean all of us, you know, not just Hebronville. I love my church. I really love my church. You guys are amazing. We just need more of you to be amazing, right? But um, across the board, it's the same. You know, I had a meeting on the way back. I, I landed really late in San Antonio, and I had a hand set up, so I had a, just a real a quick breakfast meeting with my pastor, Pastor Odell, and his, his brother, um, Pastor Ronnie, and he has a pretty good church in South San Antonio, had for many, many years. And they're, you know, they're experiencing the same thing we are. We were talking about, you know, the feeling. And I'm thinking, I wonder if, you know, hopefully it doesn't take, you know, us to go in some complete crisis mode like they live in Cuba to really have that fire for God. You listen to me, I don't think that's a requirement. But sadly, sometimes, you know, and again, I'm preaching to the choir, you're here, but, you know, for those of you watching me online that are local, you need to get back to church. I'm just telling you, you need, this, this is really important, you know. The more, you, when you see it over there, what the church does, you realize how important it is. Because the church for them is not just something you go on Sunday. It really, their whole life, and even their whole life dependency is on it, because be, among themselves. So they really do the gospel. When you break down the, the message of Jesus, and you just kind of go through the points of the gospel, you really see that in the Cuban church. You know, you see the unity. You see the need for each other, you know, the each other. That was like a whole thing in the Bible, right? Love one another and everyone taking care of. But you also see a hunger for the things of God and not only a hunger for the things of God, a hunger for the purity of the things of God. In other words, they, they, you know, nobody has it right. Nobody's perfect. Not here, not there. But the quest for holiness, the quest for I want more God, you know, the, I, I could just go on and on. The praise and worship um, everything. And, and then you see what the, what the God environment causes in them. It gives them what they need to survive in that world. You know, so really the, the Sunday morning for them is their whole life source. And not Sunday morning because they got stuff going on all week. You know, they got the men's group, the women's group, children's group. <laughs> it's just everything is. And everyone is like so full of the word. You know, you talk to the teenagers, right? What I say to Miriam, I mean, not, I'm not knocking our teenagers, but they don't have a chance laid up with these teenagers. They got the word. They got scripture. They got discipline. They got passion. They got energy. You know, one of the leaders, I mean, she's like on fire. It's Pastor Yoel's daughter, and she's an 18-year-old girl, and, and, and you listen to her, and she's like, like, wow, you know. So all those things, you know, you come back. You know, you go there to minister, but you really come back ministered, and I come back, you know, with, okay. <laughs> you know, the more I think about it, I'm like, what is it going to take? to bring that to, to our church, you know, our church. And, and, I'm, and I'm not talking the global church. So what I'm saying, it's not just a problem with us. It's pretty much the problem with American church, that we become, you know, just put it over there a little bit, you know, go on Sundays if I have time, you know. It, it becomes something that is not important. And, as it, and here's, here's the thing. As it becomes not important, you see how, if I can just call it the little snakes, begin to enter into the marriage, begin to enter into the kids, begin to enter the kid's mind. And now your kids are confused about their identity. Your kids are confused. And, and I'm talking church kids now. I'm not talking world kids. And, and you begin to, and that as a pastor bothers me, right? Because, you know, our job, everything we're doing, this, that's what I'm saying. I'm going back to this. All that money that was invested in the junior high kid group, you know, that thing could, will be either a success or a failure depending on you, not depending on Yanis. She's done her part. 
you know, we've invested. I did my little part. I came and painted, you know, before we left. But at the end of the day, you know, if that is a success or a failure, it's really dependent on you completely. And I think it is important that, is, that, that the church family really begins to take things a little more seriously. Yeah, just a little more seriously because, again, we're not trying to replicate the Cuban church, but you see these people in a place where they could just stay home and cry, but they don't. They say, I will go to the house of the Lord, and I will rejoice. And you don't see sad Cubans. You know, when you talk to them, you really get a feel of what's going on, and it's hard. It's really hard. But when you see them in, in this place of energy and, I mean, just dancing, I said there was a little group of, of guys in the back. I don't know if I have a picture. They were crazy, man. But anyway, I love those guys. So every time worship would go, I would go hang out with them. And if you guys, I, got, I don't know if they got on video, but I was dancing too. Hopefully that video will not go viral because you guys will laugh because I don't dance at all. But I was dancing for the Lord. I got so excited with them. We just grabbed locked arms and, you know, we just had such a, such a good time. And it goes back to the idea, you know, how these people can have so much joy in such a place of so much darkness, you know? So I was thinking, you know, along the lines, and again, don't take this the wrong way. But I'm thinking, so next time somebody comes to me in America and they want to talk to me about how bad their life is, I almost want to make that meme of Gene Wilder. So tell me. How hard is your life now? <laughs> you know? Now, I'm not saying, you know, we all go through different lives. You know, where we don't have the lack, maybe financially, and, and we have food on the table, we have all kinds of lack. And I really want to kind of go into the message right now. You, you can scroll through some pictures just so you guys, there's a lot on Facebook. I know not everybody does Facebook. But we don't want to sing the song again. Just kidding. <laughs> but, you know, so anyway, let me talk about this guy. Oh, my God. This is, this is like a story in itself. So this guy, as you can tell, I'm not sure what his disease is. But um, he's, he's very sick. He, and I have a video. I don't have it on right now, but at some point, he would ask the men, because it's a men's conference, and they, they pull them out, and they carry him. And he's asking, I want to dance. And you should see this guy being held up, dancing for God. It will make you cry. It will make you feel embarrassed and cry. Because to me, it was like, here's a guy that's completely broken, but he had enough to say, get me out of this chair I want to dance for God. And, he, and I have video of this guy dancing. I'm dancing with him at one point. And I'm like, yeah! <laughs> you know, I'm, I mean, I just talk about these things, and you know, it gives me chills because this is the kind of stuff I'm saying, you know, we go to Cuba to minister, but then we bring back like this, where, where are we? You know, we need this. So this guy is just such an amazing testimony. You know, of, and he was part of that group that I was telling you, those guys in the back. Go through some of them, RJ. I don't know what I threw up there. Um, there might be. Okay, well, that's, there, there you can see, going back to the back there, there are two, the two AC units. Those are 10-ton units that we have there. So now that's a picture from here to there. So now the church is jam-packed. So anyway, you got that. So I'll be sharing some more things. That's good, RJ. Thanks. We can go now to the outline. Let's go ahead and open our Bibles, and we're just going to pick it up right there. It's all, it's all hooked up to Matthew 5, and I'm going to have to um, I'm gonna go read through this. It's verses 1 through 16. Matthew 5. Um, if you can open your Bibles, so I, don't, I might have the scriptures up there. I don't know. I was trying to get everything organized. But I want to talk about, um, I want to, you know, kind of go this direction. I'm still on the subject that I left. I didn't forget. But this is really is part of lifing. This is really is part of, you know, some of the things that Jesus left us, some of the instructions that he left us. So in Matthew um, 5, and as you go there, I want to read something 
to set it up. You don't have to go there, but I want to set it up out of the message translation. You, you, you might write this down. I said this a few weeks ago. On a, so Amos chapter 5, verse 14, you don't have to go there. This is just, just listen to it, because this is one of those scriptures that I heard, gosh, I heard this a long time, probably 15 years ago, as somebody was ministering around these lines. And they read the message translation, which I'm going to read. Amos 5 message, verse 14 says, Seek good and not evil and live. You talk about God, the God of angel armies, being your best friend. And then he says, well, live like it, and maybe it will happen. Hate evil, love good, then work it out on the public square. May God and the God of angels armies will notice your remnant and be gracious. Now, Amos, you know, he's prophesying, obviously, over a, over a people that need to get, you know, get back to God. But they were serving God. And, again, this, is, this will really preach, and I'm trying not to. But if you jump down to verse 21 and 24, now he's referring to these people like, look, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. So this, this, presents a, this presents a people, and we'll get to Matthew in a moment, that are going to church, they're, you know, they're, they're doing the religious thing, they're doing the God thing. But this is the exhortation, and it's always been in my face for many years. I actually did a, you know, we're doing a conference in Mexico, and I talked a lot about this. And then, and then he gets really, you know, because Amos is prophesying for God, right? And again, this is message translation, which is a modern translation. But then in verse 21 to 24, he really picks up the tone. First he's like, okay, I want y'all to be good. I want y'all to be nice. But then he goes, I can't stand your religious meetings. Whoa, Lord, hang on. <laughs> I am fed up with your conferences and conventions. Now, for somebody that's been doing conferences and conventions for many, many years, that's kind of, that gets my attention, right? Like, okay, Lord, I want nothing to do with your religious, religion projects. Your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. And then he says this. When was the last time you sang to me? And obviously he's talking about heart worship. But then he says this statement, and it really lines up to to the ministry of Jesus. Do you know what I want? I want justice. Oceans of it. I want fairness. Rivers of it. That's all I want. Well, years ago, I'm talking years, maybe five, seven years ago, there was a trend within the church, and the church began to talk a lot about social justice. Well, the problem with that is if you don't talk about social justice from the perspective of Christ, the only way you're going to end up is socialism. There's no other way. There's, the only social justice without an ism is, is the social justice that Christ brings. And I don't want to dig in deep into this, but then it almost became, I remember you know, some pastors said, you know, they would get up and say, if you ever hear the word social justice in your church, run. And I'm thinking, wow, I just preached a whole thing on social justice, you know, because they were saying, you know, and, and it may be correctly, they were saying, well, the church was leaning into humanism. They were leaning into socialism, if you may. Well, what happens with that? Well, if you're not careful, you're like, you reject that and say, well, we don't want to do that because we're not, we're not going to go to socialism. I'm, you know, that's why we're, one of the reasons in Cuba, I want to say this very carefully, but that's why we're there. We're kind of pushing against that, right, by doing what we do, by providing food, by providing, you know, different resources and so forth. But the idea of social justice, you know, Jesus was the first one that preached it. So social justice, and I'm saying this for people that understand, I don't want to bore you, you know, you're here to get spiritual food. So don't throw it all, you know, don't throw the baby away with the bathwater when you hear that, that term. What you've got to be careful is we are not talking about socialism. You see, Jesus presented a plan where socialism is, we're all equal, which it never works. I don't care. You know, I've been to 
in this nation and others, and even within social democrats, democratic systems and so forth, you always find out that it doesn't work that way. You know, not everybody's equal, not everybody has the same amount of money, and besides, that's, that wouldn't even be fair, you know? Right? Why would it be fair for somebody to work, you know, 80-hour shifts to make their family better, and some guy that doesn't want to work gets the same benefits? Well, sadly, that is socialism. And that's what they try to create in Cuba, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It never worked anywhere. Not, never, nowhere in the world has it ever worked, and it will never work, because you got people that don't want to do nothing with their lives, and you got people that want to do something with their lives. That's why it will never work. But Jesus, that wasn't the message, and, I, and I'm going to get to that in a little bit. The message of Jesus was, you know, we want everybody to rise. So, I'll put it over here. Jesus wasn't about, hey, everybody's equal. Everybody's going to get the same benefit. But he was about saying, look, if you're here, we can build a process and we can build a system. And part of it's going to be the church. That we will get you from this low place to this high place. That's the social justice that Jesus preaches. Not that everybody's miserable equally, but that the people that are miserable through the process of the blessing, through the process of covenant thinking, through the process of learning God's word, you grow and you are here. Now, when I talk about, and and we're about to get to where I need to be, you know, when you think of poverty, obviously the very very first thing we think is financial lack or, you know, lack of food or lack of shelter. But the Bible, actually, the word poverty, and and I'm a little ahead of where I want to be, has a lot of different meanings. And I want to talk about that because America, Heavenville, when I say America, like we open it, but let's just bring it back to Heavenville. We have to really find out, what is the poverty of Heavenville? What is the poverty that your friends are going in? Because the Bible talks about this. And we are called to bring good news to the poor. Now, when you go to Cuba, obviously, this is really weird because we see the financial. We see the tremendous lack to the point, food, shelter. Okay, But then you see them very, very wealthy spiritually. Way wealthier than we are. Are you still here this morning? You guys got real quiet. Because, you know, we have an idea. I'm going to go to Cuba and I'm going to teach them. Yeah, and the conference was awesome. By the way, it opened amazing doors. I'm not sure what God's going to do, but a lot of people that, there's a long story here, but we reconnected with a lot of churches. We have a lot of, you know, a lot of people that didn't really have nothing to do with us, now want a lot to do with us. They saw the quality of conference that was put together. Um, everything was top excellence. In 27 years, they've never had a men's conference at that level. I mean, some of the people, I just keep thinking the things that are coming up, and I'll get to the messages. They couldn't figure out, H, why we were giving them so much food. How's that for mindset? They're like, how come you guys give them so much food? Because all the other conferences, they give you, like, whatever, right? No, we did everything to the top level. So, you know, it was, it was a really great message. But I want to deal with that this morning. So I want you now. Let's go now that we're that we're you know kind of introduced this whole thing, and I'll talk about it obviously, probably this Sunday. And the next one, I don't think I can finish this. Matthew chapter five. Now go, you should be there by now. <laughs> Thirty minutes ago, Matthew chapter five, and I'm just going to go ahead and read out of the King James Bible. And let's go all the way to verse one, and we're probably going to stop around verse sixteen. And if I need to, I'll make up some pauses there. But I'm, I'm going to try to read all the way through and then come back. 
So verse 1 says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into the mountain. When he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth, saying, and taught them, saying. So we're about to learn what was known as the Beatitudes, right? The blessings. So he begins this series of blessings that he's speaking over different peoples, over different circumstances. He said, first of all, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted the prophets that were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out into trodden under the foot of men. You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle. Thanks. Neither do men light a candle or put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. And then verse 16 says, Let your light shine so before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now there's a lot more in there. This is, you know, like I said, very very famous sermon of Jesus. But he begins with verse 3, and as, as, as we dissect that one, let me... All right, that's a quick and painless exchange. Okay, let's go back to verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, what does that even begin? Well, first of all, the, let's break down. I've, I've got some definitions. If you go, if you go one scroll, I, I mean one, one slide and then come back, I think. There's some definitions for the word poverty. Because we've got we to gotta break this idea. What, what does the word poor mean? And when you break it down from the Strong's Concordance, you know, it has, like I said, I'm going all through the outline, RJ, I know. <laughs> I'm torching back there. I'm so far ahead now. But I wanted to see, so, so the, the word poverty breaks down uh, to many things. And the very first thing we think is lack of money, lack of food. But Jesus didn't say that. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, I want to talk about that this morning. See how, you know, if that's the message, it's the message. We'll see how far we get. But you've got to think about this, because the word blessed... Let's break that down. The word blessed, it's not God has put everything on you so you get all your bills paid and everything's fine. And that's part of it. You know, when you are blessed, you carry the God part, the blessing, the empowerment. And one of the definitions of blessing is empowered to prosper. That is, you know, that is one of the root definitions. But again, you've got to keep breaking all the definitions. Empowered to prosper, spirit, soul, and body. So when you talk about prosperity... You can't be just be thinking money. And every, you know, I preach this in Cuba. I preach this anywhere I go. I said, money, when you talk about prosperity, money has to be the lowest rung of a, of a ladder that is called prosperity. So money would be their first step. It's not, you know, it's not the main step. Because I've always said it. You can have all the money in the world and be completely miserable. You can have all the money in the world. And, you know, one of the sad stories of one of the richest men in the world he might not be that today, but he was when it happened, was uh, Mr. Slim in Mexico years and years and years ago, I mean, 25, 30 years ago. I don't know how far it was. He was one of the wealthiest men in the world. 
But his wife, that he loved dearly, died of cancer, and he threw all the money at her and couldn't save her. So, you know, and that's just, you know, that's just kind of a ugh, sad story, but the point is money is not the answer to everything. You know, money makes you comfortable. <laughs> money, money makes you less hungry. But, it, but there's really no, nothing else to it because the joy that it, that it brings has to, you have to have joy first before money can bring joy to you. Does that make sense? You have to have joy about your life, and then you get to enjoy the toys. The toys, or whatever that is, if you're looking for toys to, to fill something inside, that's called materialism. Materialism is to take an outward toy, and I just call it toys, call it whatever you want, you know, from the dress you want ladies, to the necklace you want, to the gun you want guys, to the car you want. That's fine, you know, nothing wrong with that, to the big house you want. But if you think any of that stuff can fill the void you feel, you're going to waste a lot of money because it's never going to be filled. You know, and some of us might have experienced it at a low level. I have, you know, I remember before I understood, you know, growing up in Mexico, we, you know, my parents weren't broke, but we didn't have, you know, you didn't just go buy stuff like up here. So when I came up here, I was like, wow, I could just buy whatever I want to. And I didn't have any money, so let's say if I wanted something, I would save, and I was like, well, I just got to get that, I got to get that, I I never had that, whatever that was. And it was amazing, I worked so hard to get it, and then when I got it, how many have that experience? It was like, now what? You know, I had an expectation about a thing that was going to fill an emotional need, but, but it can't because it's an animate, you know, it's, 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 a, it's an object, it's dead, it doesn't have... It doesn't have a life or a personality. Whatever you buy, the personality it takes is the one you give it, right? So, you know, you learn that these things didn't fill you, so we have to really think about what, what was Jesus referring to? So when you break out the word poor, and we'll, we'll go back to the, the Beatitudes. Again, this is, um, you know, we'll, we'll read Mark 14, 7 in a minute, but this is the definition, you know, a pauper denoting absolute or public mittency, also used qualified relative sense. Proper means only straightened circumstance and private when it uses a noun or figuratively distressed. That's what I was getting to. Beggar, poor, emotionally poor. So poverty, when Jesus said poor, just basically said, blessed are those. Now, if you look at that scripture, let's go back to, to that one because that's, that's really where we are this morning. Now, if you look at that scripture, let me bring it up here from a different translation. It's really going to start opening it up to where we're going with this this morning. Because we've we're, 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 we got to deal with this, church. You know, what is poverty? What is spiritual poverty? What are these things that, that Jesus was talking about? So let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. Let me just bring up, let's say, listen to the, I like this, listen to the message translation. Um, you are blessed. This is a translation of that from King James into the message. You are blessed when you're at the end of your rope. <laughs> Some of you are like, no, that doesn't make sense. I'm not blessed when I'm at the end. Anybody? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> I've been at the end of my rope. I've been when the rope has actually been cut off, and I'm still hanging on to it, okay? That's, that's a whole different story. You're like, okay, I'm still swinging. Oh, no, it's cut. <laughs> it says you're blessed when you're at the end of the rope. Now, pay attention. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. Isn't that powerful? Okay, let me give you another one. Since you guys got real excited about that one, I can tell. Let's look at the Passion Translation. reads this way. What happiness comes to you when you feel your spiritual poverty? For yours is the realm of heaven's kingdom. 
It's like, it's like contradicts, you know, you're happy when you're feeling lack? That doesn't make sense. So we've got to still, you know, let's, let's keep working. Now let's go to one more. Let's take a look at the New Living Translation. I'm just kind of poking through this. God blesses those, now it's going to make sense, who are poor and realize their need for him. So the, so the very top of the Sermon on the Mount, God blesses the poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So what I want to deal with this morning, just you know, and we're going to pick through some of this, is what is this idea of poverty? You know, this idea of lack. Now, when we go to Cuba, because this is where I'm telling you, why do I go to Cuba and I see material lack, but I see prosperous spirits? And I'm just being honest with y'all. I come to the United States, I see prosperous in material, but I see poverty in the spiritual. So that's what we have to address. So one of the things that we do, and again, I'm kind of, I'm going to come back to that. I just want to keep introducing this. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, and I got two translations, is really one of the foundations of what I do, what I do. This is one of, if you say, what Pastor, you know, when God called you to do what you do, what, what, what was one of the scriptures? Well, this is one of them from all different versions. It means the same thing. That's still what I do, and I will continue to do this. That's why we're in Hebronville. That's why we're in Cuba. That's why we're in Ukraine. That's why we're in Navajo Nation. Because we speak up for the people who have no voice. <laughs> I like message. For the rights of all the misfits. That's why we're in Hebronville. Okay? Just kidding. Speak out for justice. Stand up for the poor and destitute. You see, the gospel of Jesus, and you can track it from the beginning. I'm going to connect now. His message, his very first, the very first time that he begins to try to preach or to teach, he goes to the church. Well, what does the church do? They reject him. If you, if you follow, they actually try to kill him. That's a pretty big rejection. Does he shut up? No. So he did the right thing as a, as a Jewish boy that had studied to be a rabbi. He took the message that he knew, Luke chapter 4, and it's interesting that his very first message, very first message, he is reading from Isaiah, and what makes him mad in that message is not what he read. That was fine. You know, he took up the scroll, he reads from Isaiah, puts the scroll back, you know, removes the prayer shawl, and he begins to teach. That's Luke 4.18. And everything's fine, but then he says one little statement. He says, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Well, everybody's like, oh, look, Jesus, you know, look at Jesus, Mary's boy, he's so smart. And then they're like, wait, wait, well, 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 what did he say? And then they realized what he said, and they went from loving Jesus, because they know him, they've known him since he was a little kid, you know. These are small communities. They know everybody. And they're like, wait, what did he say? And then it dawned on them what he said. He just declared that he's Messiah. Well, that's blasphemy. So the next scripture after that is they're trying to throw him off a cliff, Okay. What does Jesus do with his message? Does he shut up? No, I actually like what he does. He actually turns around and walks through them. They weren't able to throw him off the cliff. But then he takes his message to the gutter. We we talked about this earlier this year, you know, grace for the gutter. He takes it straight to the gutter. He doesn't go to an in-between. He's down there with the prostitutes. He's down there with the lepers now. He's down there with the people that has been rejected, the the leper colonies outside of town. And they criticize him. Why are you with the wine-bibbers? Why are you doing this? He's hanging out with the people you're not supposed to hang out if you're a church person. 
Are you guys still here this morning? This is going somewhere. Some of you are like, yawn, pastor. No, it's going somewhere. You're going to leave with some instructions. Because there's a calling here. So Jesus didn't just say, okay, the church rejected me. I guess I'll just go home. He said, you don't want it? I know who wants it. Well, there's a parable. I'm just taking all these ascents, so we don't have time to read all these parables. And Jesus thought, there's a, there's a parable that Jesus talks about a great feast. That's kind of how I felt like it was in Cuba. This great feast is prepared. And he sends invites, 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 invites to all the people that are supposed to go. But the people that are supposed to go, the people that are used to going, let me put it this way, they got stuff to do. They're like, well, I can't go because of this. I can't go because of that. You know, I got to take care. I got to tend to this. I got to tend to that. Sound familiar? No. Say no. Maybe it does. <laughs> so what happens? So the... the so they, they give instructions. He says, okay, the people that are, the elect don't want to come to church anymore. The elect don't want to come to the feast. So there's people that actually do want to come to the feast. So he goes to the streets. He says, invite whoever wants to come. Well, guess what happens? All the street people say, hey, I'll go eat some good food. But as they come in, he puts on their robes, because you're supposed to dress a certain way. They put on the robes. It's a parable, and they sit down. And then a little famous little phrase that wars have been fought over, it says, many are called. How many have you heard that? Few are the chosen. And here we go. Who are the chosen, right? Well, this is not deep. I mean, people have made it really deep for who are the chosen. Is it the people of Israel? Is it the Gentiles? You know, no, the people, you know who are the chosen? The ones that showed up. That was as simple as it gets. The invite went out. The invite went out. But who, 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 who received it were the people that wanted it. So here's where we're going. It says the gospel, and I'm going, to, I'm going to go back to that very first one. The gospel, first and foremost, is it for everyone? You could say yes, but it's for everyone that wants it. Everyone that has a desperate need for it. Not just a religious need, not just a Sunday morning, let me get it off my checklist. Let me get my star on my forehead Sunday morning. I have a deep spiritual need. In other words, the gospel is for the poor in spirit. You can't feed somebody that's not hungry. Amen? You can't really force anybody to take something that they don't want it. So you could say, you know, what is happening in this nation, you know, as a whole? Why is the gospel kind of eh? Well, you know, COVID slammed it hard. But I think people haven't realized, and I'll just be honest, including myself, maybe I realize it a little more than you because I go to these nations and I see it, and I live it, and I breathe it. That's why I say, if you go, it'll change your life. You know, it will change your life when you really see what I'm explaining to you. So we go back to that scripture. You have to have this hunger. So poor in spirit is people that have needs within their spirit realm. It could be their emotional realm, you know, their mindset, their soulish realm. But they're not, not only are they hungry, and not only have a need, but they also have a desire for the solution. And here's where I'm going with this little, this message is really simple. You say, okay, pastor, so what is our responsibility? You know, we don't have the poor. Like, can we feed poor in Hebronville? I'm sure we can. I'm sure there's need for food, you know, probably. Probably not the same need in Cuba. But I'm sure there's a couple families that could use extra groceries here and there. But really what the need in these communities are, are there's people all around you, your friends, your loved ones, I already said it, the, your kids, that you're letting them sleep in. I, God knows why you would even do that. I mean, that is so, I'm saying, I'm not being mean. I'm just saying, 
You see, in my house, you know, ask them, ask my son, ask my daughter. They, it wasn't a choice. <laughs> now they have a choice, and I'm so blessed they come to church on their own. You know, but when they were a kid, it was like, we're going to church. It wasn't, a, it wasn't even like a question there. <laughs> it wasn't even like a remote possibility. Can I sleep in, Dad? Psst, whatever. I mean, it, it wasn't even a thought process within their life. That, that wouldn't even cross their minds to even dare ask me if they could stay home. Because since they were little, well, since I got born again, because, you know, they weren't art, this became part of our life. And I wasn't in the ministry. I just knew the things that got me out of the world were the things that were going to keep me moving. You know, it took a few years before I was even in ministry, and we were there every time the church door opened. I mean, there was prayer. We were there, all of them. (laughs) In my single cab pickup with no car seats. Glory to God, all right? That's how we started. But, you know, you're going back to this idea. Now, now let's go back to to that verse um, so we can work on it a little bit. The poor, now, now, now you can go, well, go to Mark 14. I'm, I know I'm all over the map, RJ. Just track with me. Let's, let's look at this one. This is a really interesting because this one has also been kind of preached wrong, I think. So what is building, let, let me tell you what is building into that scripture. Now, we already defined the word poor from the Greek. But what is happening in Mark 14? So what happens in Mark 14 before verse 7 is that Jesus you know, he's in a meeting, and this lady comes in with this jar of alabaster, very, very expensive perfume. They considered what she had in there, you know, the experts, the people to study these things, say that the value of that perfume that was poured on Jesus was one year's wages. That's a cost. You know, your average, I don't know what your average minimum wage is anymore, but if you can figure, you know, let's say, I don't know, 25000 Whatever it is nowadays, I don't know what it is. You know, I'm assuming. Let's just say 20. So that little jar was one year's wages. Now watch the self-righteous people, and one of them being Judas, interesting enough, the one that was stealing. She comes in, and she just wants to worship. And it's also symbolic because she's also preparing him for death, which that's another another. This is getting close to the end. And she just busts this thing out, and she just pours it all over Jesus to worship. And Judas gets a little upset. She says, I can't believe this. We could have sold this and fed the poor. Because I like that part because one of, the, one of the reasons that is interesting is that it was part of Jesus' ministry was taking care of the poor. And I'm going to build into that a little bit. So he comes up and says, we could have sold this and given it to the poor, which is, you know, something they did. But then Jesus responds with this. And, and what I want you to understand is some people have used this scripture to justify not reaching to the poor. Because I've heard it preached that way. Not that way, but it kind of leans into that, you know. We have to define this idea of poor, but that, that really is the message this morning. Because when you leave this building, you're going to find out there's so much poverty around you. And I'm not talking financial. There's just a lot of poverty around you. You're going to see it. The poor, the people that have all this definition, and I'm not going to go through it, you're always going to have with you. That's the statement. And you can help them anytime you want. And then Jesus says, but you will not always have me. De- so, I'm sorry, that definition got mixed up. That's actually part of the definition. I don't have my typo. That's horrible. That's not a scripture. That's the due to wealth. It's part of the bottom one. But you will not always have me. So basically what he was saying is like, hey, what she's doing to me, it's an honor thing. It's okay. So it's okay to, you know, honor Jesus. It's okay to bless Jesus with 
resources. But the statement he, he says is, the poor you will always have. And the second statement is, makes an idea that, that it was a custom thing, not only a custom thing, but that he was going to leave this responsibility on the church, which we immediately see it in the book of Acts. I mean, the book of Acts, the church is barely getting going, and they're already taking care of the poor. They're taking care of the widows. They're taking care of, I mean, right at the get-go, they knew this was their calling. So when people say, what are you doing in Cuba? We're doing what Jesus told us to do. I mean, there's poor everywhere. We, we could go to Pueblo Nuevo and find poor, but at this point, that's where God called us to meet the needs of the financially poor. Remember that idea? Because you know, I'm telling you, we go and, and they receive what we teach, and it's, and it's fresh to them, but they are not spiritually poor by no means. Do you agree with that, Miriam? Araceli, you guys been there? You know, they're not spiritually poor. So, and you can help them anytime you want. So once you take the definition of poverty and say, okay, pastor, I get it. Now, I'm going to fast forward like, to the end here to, to explain this a little better. Every one of us has this responsibility. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those, in other words, there's an empowerment this is, how, this is how it would be constructed. There's an empowerment that God will give to help those that have identified any form of lack. All right? Material, emotional, so forth and so on. Okay, where do you come in? Number one, your family. Stop there. What areas of your family are there areas where your family's lacking? Lacking? That's all that is poverty. Is it more time to explain things to your kids? You know, your kids come to children's church, but they have other questions that you as a parent need to be able to address and talk about at a spiritual level. Are you here this morning? And that is a responsibility. And so you start with your family. Can I identify areas in, in my family where we are poor? Okay, praise God. We got food on the table, so that's not one. But are we poor in our relationships? Or we're, not in, we're not spending enough time investing in each other. We're not spending enough time investing in our kids. We're not spending enough time with our husband, with our wife. So that becomes an area of lack. You see that? So, so every time you see poor, remember there is a blessing. So you're not on your own. But the thing is you have to identify it. The blessing will affect what you identify because you're going to work it. So in other words, you say, you know what? Our relationship could be better. Our, you know, the relationship between my husband and my wife could be better. Okay, praise God, you've identified it. So now God will commit a blessing. Blessed are the poor. In other words, for the blessing to come into any form of lack, it has to be identified. And I think sometimes we just limit to, well, you know, I'm not poor, so I'm good. No. How about your neighbors? People that are dealing with oppression, depression, um, addictions, broken marriages, broken kids, broken everything, you have the answer. So now you, now you begin to spread the circle. So I'm going out of my family, and I'm going to my community, maybe my neighbor, my best friend, my coworker. What it, and here's the thing. When you begin to see this church, because I'm thinking, why is everybody in Cuba? Why, I mean, you open the church, it's packed, jam-packed out. You're like, well, of course, they don't have anything. I get that. But there's still thousands, and you know, there's a lot of Cubans that don't go to church. But the ones that are going have found something that we have lost. <laughs> That's the truth. They have found out that the source of the blessing is the presence. But they don't stop there. They carry that presence everywhere they go. They carry it to their workers. They carry it to their 
workplace. And not, I'm not talking about being fanatical and weird, but everyone, all you, all you have to spend is about five minutes in, in a good conversation with anybody that's close to you, and you're going to identify so much poverty in their lives. All you have to hear them is talk. You know, they, have, they might have the fine house and the fine car, but you hear them talk. And you as a child of God should be able to see because he says, the poor you will have with you always. Now, he was referring, obviously, here specifically he was referring to finances because the comment was in answer to what Judah said. We could have sold it. We could have bought food. But the point that poverty is around us is very interesting because Luke chapter 4, verse 18, the very first sermon that Jesus preached that he got kicked out of church, it starts with, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. And the very first thing right off the top, he says, to preach the gospel to the poor. That was the very first anointing on Jesus' life. And then he goes through the anointings of healing, the anointings of breaking oppression, the anointings. But at the end of the day, all, of the, all the anointing, if you, even if you read it into Luke 4.18, it, it starts from the anointing to break poverty. Isn't that interesting? Because all the other ones are poverty. Captivity is poverty. So let's play a little bit with the word poor. What, is, what does the word poor mean? Not just with all these definitions. It just really means lack of something. Okay? So you could say, if I don't have joy in my life, that means I'm poor in that area. In other words, I am lacking that. You could say, you know, in the area of health and these things, well, I'm lacking health, lacking money, lacking joy, lacking peace in my home, lacking peace in my relationships. I mean, you could go on and on and on and on, but every one of those identifies an area where, guess what? There is a blessing that will fill that need. But it's up to the body of Christ, up to you and me, all of us, to, to search these things. Amen? Let me give you a few more. So Mark 14, he says that one. Now I want you to go to Galatians chapter 2, verse 10. And this is such an interesting idea about the heart of Paul. And, and, and I read it, and I've never read it in the, in the Passion Translation, or if I read it, I, di- I didn't see it the way I saw it last night, actually. This one, I put it in there last night. And it just kind of resonated in my spirit. I'm like, wow, that's what I do. And this is something that just, you know, kind of stirred me up because I'm looking at my life and I'm looking at my calling in life and I'm seeing how God, he's not changing my calling. You know, I've been doing missions before I did pastoring, so that's not different. But I can see the influence now. I can see what's going on in Cuba. We, we just doubled our, or tripled or quadrupled the influence of what's happening in Cuba because now we got... 500 men going back to their churches, and they're super excited about what we're doing. We got invites to go to all these churches and like do a tour of the island and all these crazy things. So I can see God pushing us further and further into to what we're supposed to do there. But this is, a, this is so cool what God says. This, they simply requested one thing of me. Now Paul's talking about this. He says, that I would remember the poor and the needy. Now back then, remember, Paul. every time Paul talks about money, which he does quite a bit, 2 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 9, and a few other Philippians, and I'm thinking of a few other instances where he mentions finances. His, his thing was to bring, I've said this many times in church, the, the Jewish church, the, the, the church in Jerusalem was under so heavy persecution. They were the most persecuted church. You can get an insight in Hebrews chapter 10 of what they were going through. They were burning their stuff down, burning their houses down, throwing them in jail, and they had, a, they had a tax from the Jews because they had basically left their religion. So they, they could even be killed by that back in the day. 
And they also had attacks from the Romans. So they were like, on both sides, they were getting messed up. So Paul's mission was, we need to get resources for the church in Jerusalem. So, but this idea right thing, I think this should be like a calling. I don't know if everybody has this calling, but I know it's on my heart. It's always been on my heart. But now I see it. It says that I would remember the poor and needy, which was the burden I was already carrying in my heart. Now, again, we can go back and look at the situation in Cuba. Why are we doing the things for the farm? That's one of the reasons we want to produce food. But I want to bring it home. You know, what would the burden in our heart be if we began to identify the poor in spirit right here in Heavenville, in Bruni, in Laredo, in our inner circle, the poor in spirit? Because I, I really, you know, to me, it seems like everyone should have this burden because at the end of the day, God called us. He gave us a commission. Now, we can preach a lot of wonderful things, and we do in the church, but, but you can't ignore that you have been commissioned. Go ye and preach the gospel. And the gospel was not just, okay, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Open your heart. Get Jesus to heaven. The gospel is always preached two ways. It's preached from the spirit angle, and we have to. That's the number one way you've got to preach it. But in the life and ministry of Jesus, he always presented the gospel. This is the way to get to heaven, but then let me show you what it does in the natural. And that's why he would feed multitudes, and that's why he would do the miracles, and he would heal people, because it wasn't, you know, social justice was not about, okay, let's get everybody to heaven, but it was also about bringing heaven down and breaking poverty. And I think we need to start looking at at what is the poverty of America? What is the poverty of our community? Because you are called to that. Are you still here this morning? You guys don't seem real excited. Okay, I'm almost done. Let me finish with this. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Well, I'm done for today. I'm not done, done. In that same chapter, go all the way down, because now, we're gonna, now we're, I'm going I'm to show you this and leave you with this, and hopefully the whole week you're going to be thinking about this, because this is the words of Jesus. You know, he goes through all the blessings, and we're, and we're going to pick through some of these because they're really good. You know, the whole thing, the whole Beatitudes, Beatitudes is such a, such a wonderful teaching. But then he goes on to verse 13, and there's where you're really going to get it. He says, you are the salt of the earth. All right? But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Then he says, you are the light of the world. Well, we'll deal with that in a moment. Let's talk about salt. When you, when you hear salt in, in today's, what do you hear? High blood pressure. You're not supposed to take salt. Sal mal, right? All that kind of stuff. But back then, it wasn't like that. Back then, salt was a very, very important item. The reason salt is, su- is used, and it was such an important thing, first of all, let, let's talk about the Roman soldiers. A Roman soldier... Part of his first aid kit, he carried salt and oil, okay? But not only that, salt was such a high commodity that part of their salary was paid in salt. Thus, you get the word salario. Oh, you learn something in church every day, right? So the word salary, the root word salary, comes from the word salt. People got paid in salt. Wouldn't you be happy if you went to work this week, Kathy, and... Your check and you poured it out. And was, yes! I got salt! No, you could be like, what? Well, back then it was, it, was, it was because your life could depend on it. Why was it such a commodity? There was no refrigeration. Any meats 
that would, that would survive would have to be salted. We know it, carne seca, right? But that was, it was, it was as important as refrigeration. If you were out in the wild and you got cut, more than likely you would die of gangrene or infection because there was no antibiotics. The only thing that could possibly help you was if you were able to, you know, put some lemon juice and salt and oil on that wound, pepper if you had it. I mean, it was weird kind of stuff, you know. That's what we heal horses nowadays. If a horse gets cut, put, you know, pepper and vinegar and anyway, then another, another. So salt was like life, you know, you had to care, you know, you didn't, you didn't leave your house without a little bit of salt. Because out there, there were so many things, you could, a bug bite, you would die, you know. There was nothing. I'm like, today we have antibiotics, we take all this, nothing was there. So salt was, was a really expensive thing. So when Jesus mentioned salt, every ear, every Hebrew ear and every Gentile ear knew exactly what he was going to talk about. So, you know, I could change this to, you know, we can't really change it because it doesn't make the same, has, has the same application. But you could, you know, you could say you are the gold of this earth, something of real high value. You are the diamonds of this earth. You know, you are the oil of this earth. I don't know, something that, that you would hold at real high value, he uses salt. But then he goes through the ideas of what does salt do. Well, salt, what it does, it preserves. It keeps, it keeps things from rotting. It, it heals your body. It adds flavor to things. It preserves, obviously, we talk, preserves food that you can consume later. Well, why would he use it? Because he, that was the characteristic of the church. He says, you guys are like salt. And the more the church understands that, 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 that one example, you'll, you'll understand where I'm hooking up to blessed are, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Because we have what it takes to heal poverty. Are you here this morning? Y'all went Baptist? What do you preach, H? We have what it takes, you know, and, and what's going on in Cuba, I'm just sitting back and watching God do this amazing thing, you know, having conversations with Daniel. We've been, we've been there 10 years, and I really don't even have a mission statement, and, I, and, I, and I'm thinking about that. Like, you've been in Cuba 10 years? No, because we went there, you know, to figure stuff out, and then as, as things evolve, you know, I went there to help Gabriel, and now we're over there buying farms and putting air conditioners in buildings. So God has this really, you know, cool way of, moving things, you know, where you start and where you end up. But at the end of the day, we were there to do exactly what, what salt does. We were there to preserve. We were there to enrich. We were there, you know, to bring healing to a people that are just so beaten down and so downtrodden. Well, guess what? The people in your circle. I'm talking to people, you know, maybe not people who go to church with you, but people in your circle, people that you're going to go to work with tomorrow, they need salt. They're broken. They've they got stuff in their life that they might not share with anybody, but when you begin to understand that, that the blessing of the poor, the only way you're going to experience it is when you're willing to salt it. Does that make sense? That's faith, right? You don't really see faith until you, you know, it's like when God tells you to say, you know, I just got to invite somebody to the Lord. You don't, you got, you don't know how to do it. That's, I don't know how to do it. I've been doing this 30 years. I still don't know how to do it. But as soon as somebody talks, the Holy Spirit takes care of it. Does that happen to you? And boy, you start saying things like, wow, I didn't know I was that smart. Well, you're not. That's the Holy Spirit. Don't be surprised. <laughs> and that's a cool place to be because you're like, wow, man, I sound like a scholar. No, it's the Holy Spirit. Well, that's exactly when you, when you make a choice to say, you know what? I am going to be salt. I am, I'm going to begin to identify poverty, number one, in my family. Remember, your first ministry, your first church is your family. Don't you ever forget that. Amen? That's when I told Dan, I might not go to Cuba because I believe that with all my heart. I'm not going to go to another country leaving one of my grandkids in the hospital. That's not happening. 
God will have to figure it out. If he wants me in Cuba, he'll have to get her out. And that's exactly what he did. You know? And she's perfectly fine. But, you know, your first ministry is your family. Women and men. Is your family in need of salt? I don't know. But if they are, you better start salting it up. You better start bringing it back. Because what we carry heals. What we carry brings hope. I mean, when you go to Cuba, and, and the, the, one of the biggest things that we do, one of the biggest messages that we do is called showing up. The fact that we go there and the fact that we still care for them is the biggest sermon they're going to hear. Now, I'm telling you, that's the biggest sermon. They're just so excited that we're still connected. Because so many missionaries have come and gone over years and got real excited and then got excited about something else. <laughs> you know? So, we are, so when you carry the idea that God has empowered me, listen to this church. There's no reason why this church shouldn't be jam-packed out just with people from Heffernville. When people find out that we have the salt that, that their life needs, every chair is going to be full. The problem is we haven't done a, you know, it's, this is not God's problem. You know, it's like, it's God, Lord, we need revival. He said, yeah, you all need revival. You need revival. <laughs> you get excited. We're praying like revival to fall on heaven, Bill, when the revival should fall in our heart. Because, you know, the, the evangelistic dream is not to fill this church next Sunday. The evangelistic dream is, can you bring one person? And we're not done yet. Will the person come back? Our win, we said this for many years, our win is not when somebody comes to church. That's awesome. We celebrate it. Our win is when they come back to church. You know what they found? They found flavor. There was something happened in that service that they found flavor. But let me help you. There's something happened with interactions with people from the church that got flavor. There are people, I'm telling you tonight, this is so in my spirit, of all the messages I could have brought you, that you go this week and there's people just so hungry, so hungry for the salt. Now, they don't see it like that. And if you go, hey, I got some salt, they're like, well, no, the doctor told me my blood pressure, I can't afford it. No, we're talking about something else. Don't be weird, right? We're talking about let them talk and listen and listen. And at one of those points, the Holy Spirit says, take the shot, take her out. And stuff will come out of your mouth that will bring life. What's the next thing that he said there? Verse 14. And it's amazing because it's salt and light. It's not just one. You are the light of the world. What does that mean? It's pretty dark. Well, what happens with this light? Neither, let me, let me just, well, let, let me tell you, if you guys, like, uh, some of you do like Bible history, some of you, I, I know I bore you, but you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. That's, that was actually a city. That was, that was um, a city um, that was built. What is it called again? Anyway, they say that that's a city they believe. Oh, what's the name? You remember the name of that city? It was a jewel that they, historians say that Joseph, when they said carpenter, he wasn't a you know, carpenter. That means he was a high-level constructor. That was like the highest level. And they were building, I forget the name of the city, but it was a city that was built, you know, the Herod was building, and that at night they would light it up, and that was called the city on the hill. That was actually a place. And this city, they, it, it was a jewel, and they were b- building it for the emperor and all that, and at night it was the only place that was lit with fire. They obviously didn't have electricity, but you could see it at night, and that's the, that, so Jesus is making reference, and I'll get the name of it, to that city, so he, when he's not just talking about, you know, oh, this is a cute idea. He's talking about that city 
He says, you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. Question, are you an undercover Christian? Don't answer. Now, again, there's a balance between being the weird guy, it's the end of the world on the corner, that's not who we are, to being absolutely, I got Jesus in my heart, make sure nobody knows. I'm undercover. No, people should know. You see, this is a responsibility of believers. You know, we come to church and like, I need a message for my needs. I need a message to, you know, make me feel good, help me navigate. Yeah, that's fine, and you'll get them. But one of the greatest messages is when you begin to, to sow the things that God did to you, when you begin to, to really take serious these two little things, I am salt, I am light, and there is a blessing for the poor. I'm talking about three little points this morning that if you want to see how this works, you have to walk into it. And you have to become hypersensitive to it. And not just, and again, don't be weird. Don't, you know, don't be out there like, okay, you're all going to hell, you're going to die. That's not what the message was. The message was a message of hope. The same thing that happens with the Cuban people, that we show up. That message is the same people. There are people in your circle that all they want is a little hope. Their, their kids are on a, on a bad path. Their marriage is on a bad path. Their finances are on a bad path. And they just want somebody to come up in their life and say, hey, you know what, there is hope. And they're, well, how do you know there's hope? And then you get to tell your story. I like the word when they say tell Jesus history. They just break it out, his story. I mean, it's so amazing when this happens because you really begin to see people gravitate to, to the light, and it goes on to say, watch, watch what happens with the light. Because we already talked about the salt. I didn't, I didn't even spend a lot of time what happens to it if you don't use it. <laughs> we don't even want to go there, right? It says, it is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trod underfoot. That's what happens with salt that's not used. Then he goes about light. But then in verse 15, he says, what do we do with the light? He says, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. On a candlestick. And it gives light unto all that are in the house. This is, I mean, wow. So now he's talking about my light is not just for me. Yes, I thank God so much that he lit the light in my heart in September of 1992, because I would probably be dead today if it wasn't for that. What, you know, he lit a light in my heart, but he never gave me that light. And we used to sing, you know, I grew up in Baptist church, you know, this little light of mine. You guys don't know that. Oh, you do not? Okay. Come on, let's sing it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> shine, 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 right? But it's a wonderful song, but it seems like we don't do it. This, this, like I say, this message is to encourage you, not, not to make you feel bad, but to look for opportunities this week. To really look for opportunities to be salt and light, because the more you are, the more you become salt and the more you become light, guess what happens? God uses you on, on crazy, crazy stuff. He'll have you talking to people that you never believed would come to God. He'll have you sharing the, the scripture without ever mentioning chapter or verse. How's that one? You can talk to people and just quote verse. They won't, they'll think you're quoting some motivational speaker. You say, yeah, I'm quoting a mo- motivational speaker. His name is Yeshua. Is he Jewish? Yeah, he's Jewish. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. It says, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. My question, can people see your light? Because it's not about saying, oh, look what a goody-goody Christian is. They see the light, they come under the light. That to me is like, it's not about us, church, because we are not the light. And the moment you think you're the light, you're going to go on a, off a deep end here. You are not the light. But God has given you a light that dark people can see. And it really is, I I want to say it's almost like a crime to people's life because their spirit, their spirit 
They might not know how to translate it into their thinking, but their spirit is so hungry for light that they will see it. That's why, I don't know if it happens, it happens to me a lot. Like random people open their whole life to me. Does that happen to you? Like you say hi to somebody in Walmart and before you know it, before you pay, they're going through a divorce. Like, hey, that's way too much information. (laughs) Come on, anybody? Like in the South, you don't want to say how you're doing because they'll actually tell you. Like in New York, you say, how you doing? They go, hey, that's it. Here, they're like, hang on, how long do you have? Well, those are golden opportunities. You know, Pastor, what do I say? Don't worry about it. You don't worry about what you're going to say. You just worry about listening and focus your listening to that heart. And before you know it, when they give you the pause, you'll go, and something will, amazing will just come out of your mouth, and it will shine a little bit of your light into that darkness of that person's life. If we're not mission-oriented, then what are we doing here? I mean, let's be honest. If we're not mission, because I, I, I look at our, my life in ministry, and I say, we go to Cuba, it's explosive. It really is. You know, hundreds of men, energy, just miracles. You come to Heavenville, and you say, okay, why is not that happening? Is it my fault? Well, I'm sure some of it is my fault. But a lot of it is maybe my fault is not teaching more on this level. Because this is really where it's at. There's nothing more important to God's heart. You know, God wants you blessed? Yes. Does God want you debt-free? Yes. Does God want you healed? Yes. But is that the most important thing? No. (laughs) The most important thing is, the the Bible talks about one thing and one thing only that causes rejoicing in heaven. And that is when the sinner repents. That's it. It says, when the sinner repents, loose paraphrase, there's a party in heaven. It doesn't say, hey, when you got your car paid off, there's a party in heaven. That's wonderful not to have a car. Come on. But what heaven rejoices is when the sinner repents. You see, whatever Faithway does, through our online church, through our local ministry, through our international ministry, whatever you want to call it, at the end of that is this. We can, you know, we can build farms, we can do this, we can buy properties, but at the end of the day, this, did Faithway shine a little bit light in Cuba? I think we have. You know, people are coming under that light. You know, where it used to be the tens and the twenties, now they're by the hundreds. They're coming to the light. They're coming to something, and there was one, one of those, I just remember there was a couple there. I'll show you a picture later. They were a little black couple, you know, just on fire from Camagüey. They have a little church. And I, one of the, you know, imagine I, I taught eight times in five days. So anyway, I did one service. You guys think this one's going long? Well, the clock says, oh, it did, they did change it. It says one, so you guys need to change it back. Anyway, I, I, I didn't know it went that long, but that's, what was it, Friday night, which was supposed to be two sessions, which was one session for me. I taught on the law of Genesis. <laughs> and H, I think I taught, the guy that was recording, he says, I, I preached for over two hours. Nobody left, and it even seemed like two hours. The people were just taking it in. Well, this little couple was there, and, and, the, and if you know what I'm talking about, the law of Genesis is basically the principle that everything produces after its own kind. Everything in your life is seed time and harvest. I'm not going to preach yet. But I was preaching that, and, and at the end of the conference, a couple came up, and they said, Pastor, I'm so excited about your message. They were just fired up. They said, we're in a little tiny house, and there's this other house that we're believing for that's a really nice house, and the guy's going to leave, and we don't know how it's going to happen. It won't come my way, and I said, well, it's going to happen. I'm, I'm excited. They're excited, so we pray about it. Well, as soon as I get to, not as soon, but I guess yesterday, I get a message from them on Facebook. They say, Pastor, we're in the house. And I'm thinking, wow, that's like two days, you know. <laughs> this stuff works, people. It works. And if it works in Cuba, it works in the States. 
I mean, the light of God just shines, and, but it's, it needs the heart. That's my message this morning. Is your heart in the promotion of this light? Is your heart in the promotion of salting things up in the right way, not salting things up in the wrong way? Is your heart to go out and, like, you know, look at the stuff that's going on in Cuba? You guys are part of that. You Don't look at me like, oh, you pastor, you went to No, you went to Cuba. I, I don't go by myself. I never, never, <laughs> ever is it, is it Kelvin Box Ministries. It's always Faithway. Faithway, it's always faith exchange, it's always churches. I never, I never put a man's name on it. And I'm saying, we have this, and I don't see why. I really, I'm coming back with, I don't see why we can't have what's going on there, here. I just really don't see why. The only reason I can see why is that we're not, we're not doing this. I include myself. You know, I'm challenged. I'm challenged to come back, and I'm looking at next year, and I'm thinking, you know, every year I'm like, what's the word for the year? And I really don't have any word. The only word that keeps coming up is salt and light, salt and light, salt. And I don't know if that's a word. I don't know if that's just something we're going to have to put into our, you know, what we do next year. But really, I want you to leave this morning thinking about this. You know, my clock's gone. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't finish. But think about it because there is so much joy. There's so much joy when somebody takes, you know, almost like a challenge and say, you know what? I'm going to look for these opportunities this week. And I've always said this. Everywhere I preach, I said, church is the easiest thing to grow if people understand their part. Because I want you to think about it. This church can, can double every single week. Imagine that. Really, Pastor? Yeah, yeah. Because all you have to do is bring one person. One person that you put a little salt on. And it was salty enough to say, well, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll want to go to your church. Maybe they're not ready to go to church, but they're ready to watch online. Nothing wrong with that. There's families that watched online for six months before they ever came to church. Nothing wrong with that. But, you, you know, there's a podcast. and we, ha- we have all the things. But guess what else you have? Now you have a junior high group. And some of these people around you, they're already dealing with 12, 13, 14-year-old kids that are out of control. They'll come to your church if your church offers some help for their kids. How about your high school kids? How, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff out there that needs salt. There's all kinds of stuff in, within your inner circle that needs some light. So he finishes, and I'll finish, I'll finish this. Is Let your light, verse 16, uh, verse 15, neither do men light the candle, put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. How? On a candlestick. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Amen? And then I want to give you one more. You say, well, Pastor, oh, there's so much going on here. Just, just go to the last one, RJ, Matthew 7, 7 and 8. We'll close with this one. Use your faith. I had one slide before, but I, I, I'm using our faith for his desires or using our faith for the poor. You know, we use our faith to get healing. Nothing wrong with that. We use our faith for what we use our faith. You know, I, pray, I pray for my family every single day of my life. But how, how about if we leave this morning and we start using our faith for people that are in darkness, using our faith for people that are broken, using our faith for people that are hurting. And, and I really want you to, I want to go somewhere this morning where the ministry, where the ministry is going. So this is just simple script, scripture, and I'm, and I'm on this, and I hope you get on this with me. In Matthew 7, verse 7 and 8, it says, Keep on asking, and you will receive. I want you to really get serious about some people in your life that need Jesus. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a relative, maybe somebody doesn't even talk to you anymore. Maybe somebody's angry at you. But there is somebody, I want you to use your faith today and say, Lord, let me be the salt shaker. 
You know, let me be the salt shaker for this person's life. And he goes on to say, right here it says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. That's a beautiful scripture about our life. And to, boy, if something works is this. How many have experienced this in your life? You're going through crisis, and you go before God, and you sit that in prayer, and at some point, you're going to walk through this. Well, I want you to use your faith now, and I want you to use it strategically this morning. Go ahead and stand with me. Let's finish with this. Go ahead and stand. I want you to use your faith strategically. As I pray, I want you to pray for two or three people in your life. All I'm going to ask you is say, God, I'm asking you that the light of your glory shine on them. And then you can even say, Lord, let me be the one that brings the light. That's wonderful. But let's intercede this morning. I want to pray, and if you're, you know, if you're watching this online and you haven't done this, I don't know what else to tell you, but your best shot is bringing Jesus into your life. And the rest of you, I want you to intercede. I really want you to, there's an anointing for that, and I really believe God's going to open some opportunities this week that will be so easy to walk in and share the gospel with these people. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. First and foremost, Lord, I don't want to assume anything, but somebody watching online, somebody listening to this in the future, Let's all pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I come before you just as I am, and I give you my life. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins, even those that I do not remember. I declare today that you are my Lord and Savior, and I give you my life, and I promise to follow you every day of my life. Amen. Keep your eyes closed, head bowed, just reverence. If you prayed this prayer this morning, I can say in church, you know, I'm assuming most of you are born again, but if you prayed it online, let us know. We'd love to know that it's your first time. But now I want you to do something. I want you the Holy Spirit, those of you that are here, those of you watching online, even if you hear this in the future, it still works. Who are the people right now that God's bringing into your life that really need Jesus? It's not about getting them to church. That's secondary. Church is secondary. Church is where they will grow. Our prayer is, Lord, they need to meet you. Are they people that you interact with? Then, then you're going to ask the second prayer. You're going to say, Lord, let me be the salt and let me be the light that they need. Somebody you don't see, well, then just intercede. Do what that scripture says. Knock. Ask. Ask for their salvation. The scripture in the book of Acts says, believe in God. You and your household will be saved. So let's do this this morning. I want you to think about two or three people in your inner circle that desperately need God. Maybe people you work with, maybe people in your house. I don't know. But nonetheless, we're going to believe, we're going to release our faith that those people are going to come to the light of Jesus. That is what we're about, church. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, right now, as they're thinking of people in their lives, and, Lord, in my head, I can think of people that maybe I work with. I don't have a lot of family. I don't work with a lot of people here. But I'm in agreement right now with everybody that's thinking of a coworker, a family member, a loved one, or maybe somebody that they just know that just desperately needs the move of God. Father, those people that are going through, Father, that are poor here in Hebronville, not financially. They're not missing food, but their relationships are poor. Their relationship with their kids are poor. Their health is poor. There's so many areas where poverty is, is in this community, Father. Yes, it could be financial, but Lord, we're talking about people this morning people that know, even people that come to this church, that they're dealing with difficult situations at home. We don't make light of any of it. We are the salt, and we are the light, and we carry the blessing. 
we carry the blessing. Blessed are those that are hungry. Blessed are those that are desperate. Blessed are those that are open to receive what we need. And Father, I just pray right now, like we've prayed before, Lord, yes, we want to see more people, but Father, it's not even about that. It's about that the light of the gospel will continue to go through this community. We pray over, come on, let's pray for this junior high group. Father, these kids that are such a strategic place that the church right now wakes up, that those that are here wake up to this, that we don't just build buildings and, and put fun stuff for them to do, that this is something that they could save their lives. It could determine their destiny in the crazy world that they're growing up into where people don't even know what sex they are anymore, Lord. Father, I pray that what we do goes beyond just a Sunday morning youth group, just a Sunday morning anything, Lord, that what we do is eternal. And I believe with all my heart, Father, that this church is going to get a complete different dynamic as we prepare and as we prepare for the end of this year, Lord, that we too believe that with the word that you gave us at the beginning of this year, that they would be bigger, better, and brighter. And we see it in Cuba, Father. What happened in Cuba is beyond any, any of our expectations. And I thank you for that. Well, Lord, I'm requesting. I'm requesting over this community. I'm requesting over Bruni, Miranda City, over the people in Laredo that come to this church, Father, that our light as a church, our light as believers, will never have condemnation, will never have guilt trips, will never have weird stuff, but it will just be the simple message that you can do all things, God. The simple message, Father, that we are the ones that have been commissioned with the life-giving word of God. And I pray this right now in the name of Jesus. One more thing, if you're here this morning, in the building, or watching me online, and you're just dealing with any kind of You're like, man, pastor, you know, you're talking about other people. I'm the one that's dealing with it. I want to speak something over you. If if you're just dealing with something in your life that that is beyond. Or let me put it this way. If you need prayer for anything in your life, I want you to come up here real quick right now. I want to pray for you. Lay hands on you. It's biblical. I'm not going to take a long time, but we are a church. We are a family. One of the things that I learned from the Cuban church, and and we have it here, but we want it more. They are family. God, they are family. So as you guys come up, you know, I want you to believe. I got my eyes closed. I'm not, I don't even know who's up here yet. But I know that the power of God is going to help you.